Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. Support for Away With Words comes from Mosey Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crashes, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Find out more at mozy.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Barack Obama wants to pump money into public works projects like roads and bridges, much like the old Works Progress Administration from the 1930s. And Mark I. Pinsky recently had a really interesting essay in The New Republic about another program from that era, and that was the Federal Writers Project, and he urged reviving that. Now, Grant, you know about this project. This employed more than 6,000 out-of-work reporters and editors and other kinds of writers to produce some really fascinating stuff, like, for example, oral histories from freed slaves. And it gave a lot of writers a chance to practice their craft, people who turned out to be Ralph Ellison and Zora Neale Hurston and John Steinbeck. I think that this would be a really great message to send, that this is another kind of infrastructure that merits that kind of investment. I don't suppose that the reception to that would be any different now than it was then, Martha. I do know about this. At the time, there was a great outcry. People saw it as the the pointy heads getting a free ride on the government. Hmm. And uh, there there was much criticism, even of the people who were doing jobs for the WPA that involved a great deal of manual labor, crushing rocks to build roads or you know, erecting buildings and, and working in the, in the woods, that sort of thing, just hard manual labor. People just saw them as being lazy. I mean, it wasn't a universal opinion, but there certainly were divided camps on whether or not it was a good idea. Right. What, these people were just sitting there typing or something? I but, mean, Well, it's, yeah, it's even harder, though, to justify in the minds of most people, at least at the time it was, it was hard to justify paying salaries to people for something that seems so slight. <laughs> I know a lot of magazines that have that same problem, <laughs> that same attitude, believe me. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't much changed since then. But uh, I would love to see something like that. There's a, a great deal of work that is still undone from the original WPA. You've heard me talk about the lexicon of trade jargon, right? Oh, yeah, right. This was a federal writer's project uh, that was never completed. It was never published. The manuscript lies there. In the Library of Congress, a handful of people have consulted it. Eventually, I hope to finish it and publish it, but you know, that'd be a great thing to to try to revive and maybe update so you could compare the nineteen thirties to the you know the twenty tens. And this is jargon from various vocations? That's right. That yeah. They went around, they interviewed people. A lot of it happened in New York City, as a matter of fact. They went to uh, union work halls and just buttonholed people and found out what the language they used on the job was. Well, if you want to talk about language, writing, editing, the origin of words and phrases, grammar, slang, pronunciation, you name it, call us. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Diane Boone. I'm calling from Juneau, Alaska. Hi, Diane. How you doing? I'm doing great. I love your show. Terrific. What's going on? Well, we moved from Anchorage, Alaska to South Car- or North Carolina a number of years ago, and some of the people that we knew you might call hillbillies, uh-huh. and they were very proud of their dialect, but it was really hard for us Yankees to understand them. And so one day with this couple of friends of ours, we were out deciding, trying to ask each other what our favorite foods were, and the man said, well, he, I love them viners. 
And I said, Vainas, what's a Vainer? Well, you know, them Vainas, and I, them little Vainers. And I couldn't figure out what he was talking about, so I said, he said, them Vainer sausages. And I said, how do you spell that, Ralph? And he said, V-I-E-N-N-A. And I said, Vienna, Vienna sausages, as if I ever wanted one anyway. <laughs> and um, my question is, is this a common thread, do you think, that runs through the South where Vienna sausages are known as Vieners? <laughs> <laughs> so he, he means the little, the little sausages in the can kind of thing? Yeah, he means Vieners yeah. sausages. Yeah. Do, do they only come in the can? No, you can buy them like over the counter at the right meat shop, right? I don't think so. I don't think there's a high call for them. Although, we went to a Christmas party recently, and I could not believe it. Somebody served Vienna sausages. Well, yeah, sure, sure. They're like a, you put them out with the crudite, right? Exactly. You got, you, got the, uh. you got the dip and the chips and the celery and the carrots and the Vienna sausages. The Vienna sausages. You know, poor, poor Vienna. We just mangle that name. Did you know, Diane, that there's a Vienna, Georgia? Oh, no. Yeah, there's a Vienna, Georgia, and there's also a Vienna, Maine, which is right down the road from Madrid, Maine. Actually, I come from North Carolina hillbilly stock, and my Aunt Mazo used to talk about Vienna sausages. Oh. Isn't that great? And I can't believe it. Yeah, and and it feels very familiar to me because in that same area, western North Carolina, eastern Kentucky, people also talk about playing the Pianer. I mean... <laughs> My dad used to go tell me to go practice the Pianer, and he was he was making a joke because he knows that the standard pronunciation is piano, but he was imitating the language of his parents. And I think you'll find that kind of pronunciation among a lot of older people in particular. Hmm. But, but let's just lay out the etymological trail here. When we talk about Vienna sausages, we're talking about Vienna, uh, the the you know the city in austria right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in in austrian german then they would spell it w i e n right right and then uh, somebody who is a citizen of w i e n is a and it is pronounced with a v even though it's spelled with a w right right it is a wiener right which is also where we get the word for wiener so that's like the full circle wonderful maybe that's what how does wiener schnitzel fit in that's right. Wiener Schnitzel and Wienerwurst are also related to that. Yeah, there are a lot of those meat names that go back to the cities that where they supposedly originated. Like think about Bologna, mm-hmm. Bologna, Italy, and and uh, Frankfurters Hamburg. and hamburgers. They're related to those, or, or at least there's a heritage there. So, so but your aunt Mazo and this fella that Diane was talking to, they share something that's a regional a regional pronunciation. Then, yeah, Wiener sausages. <laughs> hey, Diane, thanks for this stroll down memory lane. Oh, this was so much fun. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, if you want to talk about food words or any other kind of words, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. My name is Jan, and I'm calling from San Diego. Hello, Jan. Welcome. Hi, Jan. How are you today? We're doing well. What Super do you have duper. on your mind? Well, uh, one of my favorite college classes was on etymology, the study of words and their origins. Yay! And I've been looking for a long time and never really found the origin of the word mullet as used as a haircut, that ugly, short in the front, long in the back one. Uh-huh. And you've looked high and low? Well, I've looked, and I've had the description of the haircut, and it's also a fish, Mm-hmm. But I've never figured out how being a fish became an ugly haircut. <laughs> <laughs> so you were talking about the haircut that's short in the front, long in the back, and you think is stupid. Yes, I do. <laughs> you know, yeah, I have a haircut I know it's just back like that. In fashion, but... no, I'm kidding. Well, I don't know if it ever left fashion. In certain circles, it's been fashionable for decades, hasn't it? Yes, I guess so. Well, let's talk about the etymology first, and then in a minute I'm going to theorize on why I think that haircut remains popular, all right? Okay. Have you ever heard somebody called a mullet or a mullet head just to mean stupid person? I mean, they weren't being called that because of their haircut? Uh, yeah, I guess I have, actually. I've all right. Well, mutton head. Mutton head. Yeah. Well, mutton head, too. But, but you'll find that mullet, as, a, as an insult or kind of a way of describing somebody as a, a stupid person or a fool, dates back a long time. Uh, it, long enough that it predates any use of mullet to refer to the haircut, 
which is also known, by the way, as the, the hockey haircut, or um, people say it's business in the front and party in the back. Right. I've heard that definition. <laughs> right. I like that. So so in any case, mullet head is a kind of a derogatory term. It's the mid-1800s. It was later shortened to mullet. And then by 1994, um, it shows up in the printed record actually in a magazine put out by the rap group The Beastie Boys, which is the first in-print use of it we can find. The theory is, and this is uh, this is what most of my colleagues think, and this is what I agree with, is, is that this is simply a way of saying first you start out as a mullet head, meaning stupid person. Then it was shortened to mullet, meaning stupid person. And then the haircut, which people think was stupid, borrowed that term and became um, not just the name of the person, but the name that, of the haircut that a stupid person might have. Ah, there so it is a stupid haircut. <laughs> Well, unless um, you you're know, Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> a while back. Who I made, mean, a, you know, made a mince off of that. probably a mullet defense league or something out there, don't you think? I mean, well, here, I mean there are probably people. I mean, let's talk why, about is, the, why does it exist if people don't here's, like it? Here's my theory. When I was growing up in Missouri, the mullet was a popular hairdo. I did not have in one? any case ever have a mullet. Mm-hmm. Not, I did not have it. But the problem is if you want to be kind of a rebel, it usually involves keeping your hair long, right? But if you keep your hair long in the front and the sides as well as in the back, then you find yourself kind of reflexively doing these hair flipping motions or like pushing the hair back behind your ears or these very feminine gestures. The only way to keep your hair doing its own thing without having to use like a, a, you know, a scrunchie or a, a rubber band or something like that <laughs> or without having to constantly flip it back behind your ears with your hands is to keep the front and the side short. And then the back is long, so you get points for being the rebel for having long hair in the back, and then you you lose all possibility of, of having any kind of accidental feminine kind of way of dealing with your hair. You know, because it's it's definitely seen as a macho masculine thing. Definitely. Right. Well, you certainly don't see women wearing it. Oh, I have I've seen women seen wearing few, it. No, yeah. I have seen women wearing it. Definitely, yeah. it's not common, but yeah, it, it does exist. Oh yeah. So. Well, Janice, I I hadn't really thought about all these uh, theories, but I think Grant makes a lot of sense. What do you think? I do, too. I like the revolution from the mutton, mutton head, mm-hmm. the mullet, to the hairstyle. It answers the question. Thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you need fashion advice, give Martha a call. <laughs> if you're someone to make fun of you, give me a call. The number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven Wayward. And don't forget, you can go to our discussion forum online. There is plenty of new content there every single day. Grant, here's a word for you. Do you know the word borborygmic? I don't know what that means. It comes from the Greek word borborygmus, which means um, the rumbling in one's intestines. So you might speak of a, a borborygmic sound. And the reason that I bring up the word borborygmic is because the other day somebody was saying, are there words that I can teach my children to get them really interested in language, intriguing them? And I just remember this word is one that little kids learn to love, you know, because they, they have a word for that rumbling in their intestines besides rumbling in their intestines, borborygmic. And it sounds mm. like what it is, borborygmic. <laughs> Don't you think? Borborygmic, <laughs> Yeah, the B sounds in particular are very Bar-bur- appealing to children. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Well, if you've got a word that you like to say aloud, give us a call and tell us about it. The number is one eight seven seven wayward That's one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. <laughs> Coming up next on Away With Words, it's a word quiz and more of your calls. Stay tuned. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And across from me is the amazing Greg Pliska. Hello, Greg. Hello, Grant. Hello, Martha. And you're our quiz guy. I am your quiz guy. What do you do in your day job? Let's see. You're a composer. Yeah. And you're a father. A father. Right? And she's... One of the two things I get paid for. <laughs> you get paid to be a father? No, that's the other one. Well, I thought <laughs> after you did the sperm donation, the money stopped. <laughs> no. Oh. No. Wow. It's a gift that keeps on giving. How about that? <laughs> no, this week's quiz is off color. And Uh-oh. no, that doesn't mean you get to haul out all your favorite X-rated oh. slang terms. Oh, I'm darn. sorry. What it means is that each answer is a phrase with a color in it. Except that that color isn't used literally in the phrase. 
For example, if I gave you the clue, a place where actors relax between scenes. Mm-hmm. It's the green room. You'd say it's the green room, which isn't necessarily green, although some etymologies say that And that's sometimes they do paint them green. Um, so if you understand how this quiz works, then let's, uh, let's get off color. All right. Let's go. Okay. All right. Here's your clue. Restrictions that enforce moral standards, such as prohibiting the sale of beer on a Sunday. Uh Blue laws. Blue laws. Blue laws, absolutely. Okay. A partial loss of electrical power. Brownout. A brownout. Brownout, absolutely. Which, of course, is never actually brown. It's either dark or light. No, but it's brown power. That's what it's called, brown power. What does that mean? Brown power is power that's either operating at a lower amperage or lower voltage than it should be. Of course he knew that. That's an interesting. I never, I never heard that. I always assumed brownout was just because it's not a complete blackout. That's well, what I thought. Of, there's both of them actually. They co, the, both the terms coexist, and they have some overlapping kind of self reinforcement there. So that's cool. See, this is a great show. I this should listen to this show. show. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned so much. <laughs> All right. Um, here's another one. These are these are easy. Of little or no value. Small red potatoes. Um, <laughs> uh, little, good. You, got the, you have little, the right color, Martha. Do I? Is it? Yeah. Red is the color you're looking not for. Not a red scent? Red scent? Not worth a red scent. Oh, worth a red exactly. Scent. Okay. How about that? Exactly. Which actually referred originally to a copper U.S. coin. Uh-huh. Which was, you know, reddish in tone. Although uh-huh. now, of course, when we say that, we don't literally mean the color red. Red, yeah. Um, here's a good one. A lockdown of a hospital when a newborn goes missing. Oh, um, pink alert. Co- code pink? Code, code pink. pink. That's Is it right. really? Yeah, code oh, pink. I have no idea. Here's the next clue. False and sensational reportage. Oh, yellow journalism. Yellow right. journalism. Uh, rarely as of an event. Once in a blue moon. Yeah, very good. We can just rip these things off. Sure, go for it. Generic or unbranded as a product? Ah, white label. White label indeed. Uh-huh, white label. Here, here you go. One more. Information gained without serious effort. Ah, I know well, that this That wouldn't one. be blackmail. Uh, uh, no. No. Um, white knowledge. This white knowledge? By, mm-hmm. It's a term coined by the science fiction author Terry Pratchett, and it describes things that you know, but you don't know how you know them. You, you've picked them up. Like white noise, for example, is kind of like this all-pervasive noise that kind mm-hmm. of you, you can't really pick an individual sound out of it. And white knowledge is the same thing. Oh, that's You nice. have this knowledge. It's in your brain. It comes when called for, and you're like, how did I know that? Right. No, I right. have no idea how I knew that. But it's there. And it's, he, he really is referring to cultural knowledge, the uh-huh. things that we all believe to be true. Exactly. So. Yeah, sort of background facts that background facts, somehow right. have seeped into all of right. our brains. Right. We all know these things. Right. Cool. Hmm. Well, it wasn't in my brain. I didn't know that. Oh, That's I am. Great. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I am actually trying to look at Greg. So handsome. Aww. <laughs> so there you go. There's some white knowledge for everybody to, to let seep into their brains today. Well, Greg, that was super duper fun. Thank you very much. I was glad to have you here. And if you'd like to talk about grammar, slang, punctuation, or words and how we use them, the number is 1-877-929-9673. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yes. Hello, this is Mike from Milwaukee. Hi, Mike. Mike. What's going on? Um, There's a term that I grew up with, and I've heard nobody use it anywhere else, and I thought maybe you guys could help me. Okay, what is it? The term is devil strip. Devil strip? Either devil strip or devil strip, and I'm not sure which. Uh-huh. And what does that mean? Well, I grew up in northern Ohio, and the devil strip was a piece of grass between the sidewalk and the curb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe Akron or someplace like that? Yes, just north of Akron. Uh-huh. Bingo, Grant. Yep, exactly. Yep. And how did you know that? This is one of those questions that's come up a few times before, but there is a beautiful entry for this term in the Dictionary of American Regional English. Okay. Um, and both spellings, as just as you spelled them, are in there. D-E-V-I-L apostrophe S, S-T-R-I-P, or without the uh, possessive, so devil strip or devil's strip. Okay. And you know what's really weird about this, Mike, is that this thing, this t- part of the land that you're talking about goes by so many different names around the country. It's really astonishing. Oh, exactly. 
In different places, people call it the berm, the boulevard, the green belt, the city strip, the parking, the parking strip, right. the sidewalk just, plot. Just the parking? Yeah, the parking or the tree bank, the tree lawn, the tree belt. It's crazy. And you yeah. want to know one other really cool thing about Devil Strip, Mike? What's that? Devil Strip figures in this wonderful story of forensic linguistics. Do you know what that is? No. Forensic linguistics is the study of the language of criminals. And there is a terrific story about a linguist named Roger Shy. Grant, he's a colleague of yours, right? That's right. Yeah. A few years ago, there was a kidnapping. And the authorities took the ransom note from the kidnapper to this linguist and said, can you tell us anything about this guy? The linguist looks at the ransom note and he says, well, um, do you happen to have any suspects who are well-educated men who are from Akron, Ohio? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, oh, my gosh, yes, we do. As a matter of fact, the guy was caught and convicted. And do you know how he did it? This is so interesting. They figured out the well-educated because he was misspelling on purpose certain words, like cops. He would spell them K-O-P-S, okay. but then he wouldn't have any problem with longer words. And okay. so it was clear that this was somebody who was trying to disguise his education. And then the other telltale giveaway was that he used the expression devil strip, and that is so particular to one little part of Ohio. Just Akron. Do you know where it came from? We don't know. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that been, has been well-researched. The PBS documentary, Do You Speak American, talks about this, and we'll link to Roger Shai's full explanation huh. of the court case. Um, I, but it's, I always thought, I assumed, and I mean, it's just my own assumption, that it might have been called that because you didn't own it, but you had to maintain it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a devil's deal, huh? Yeah. Right. I have read that in Mansfield, Ohio, it's sometimes called a tax strip or a government strip. So maybe uh-huh. there's sort of a similar uh, <laughs> idea only, there. Only in the Akron area. That's interesting. But pretty hmm. much northern Ohio. But yeah. I just think that's that's such a wow. such a great story. Great. Well, that's helped me. All right. All right. Thank you, Mike. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Don't kidnap anybody. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> so he's a colleague of yours, Grant. Well, right. I've met him a couple of times. We've traded emails. He, I think he is in retirement or headed for retirement. He's got a couple books about forensic linguistics. They're they're interesting to me. I don't know if they're, they're everyone's cup of tea, but oh, his last name, on. we should spell his last name as S-H-U-Y, Roger Shy. Yeah. So well, he Googles very well. If you Google him, you'll find his bibliography and maybe uh, find something there to interest you. What I want to know is why doesn't this guy have his own TV series? I mean, that's terrific. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's funny. The that is an interesting case, but it's the kind of thing that you can't always do. Right. Uh, Roger would probably tell you gleefully and gladly about his list of failures because uh, they're sometimes more instructive than his successes. Mm, well, maybe we should ask him. If you've got a question about language, if you want to know why people say the things they do, we'd like to help you. The number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven Wayward. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Oh, hi. This is Leslie from Escondido. Escondido. Hi, Leslie. What's going on? Well, um, I was wondering about the origins of the phrase falling in love. Mm, Are you? Yes, yes. Um, Especially since um, we were discussing um, in services at our synagogue the other day, we were discussing um, Genesis 24, verse 64, Mm -hmm. and the rabbi mentioned something interesting about the Hebrew translation. Uh, It's the story of Rebecca when she meets Isaac, Mm -hmm. and apparently she's riding a camel when she first lays eyes on him. And the Bible always translates um, what she does next as she alit from her camel. Uh Uh-huh. But um, our rabbi said that the Hebrew actually indicates that she fell off her camel because the Hebrew word for what she did was no fail, which means to fall. And so I was wondering, hmm, I wonder if that's where we got falling in love. Oh, my goodness. That's interesting. Well, Leslie, I have to tell you that I grew up as a Baptist preacher's kid, and Genesis 24 64 is burned into my memory. I remember it very, very well, um, but for a completely embarrassing reason. Oh, 
Um, Hello. <laughs> oh, wait, let me get my notepad. <laughs> Blackmail. <laughs> well, my little brother and I used to run around as preacher's kids, and we would say, Do you know when cigarettes were mentioned in the Bible? Genesis twenty four sixty four. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's that's how the King James Version uh, translates the Hebrew Scripture there. So so I remember, <laughs> embarrassingly enough, I remember this verse very, very well. Um, and I was not aware of the original Hebrew meaning of the verb there. Um, so I don't know if she was just so nonplussed to see Isaac that she fell off the camel. <laughs> but um, I would suspect that that doesn't have anything to do with falling in love. That would that would be my guess. Did your rabbi suggest that it did? No, I just okay. suggested that it did, and then everybody laughed, and I got a big kick out of making a joke. Ah, so you're a comedian as well. I yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you that falling in love, we, we first did this in English in the late 1500s. And I think the idea was simply that it's, uh, A, something that happens to you suddenly and that when you fall, you're sort of out of control, too, which would sort of um, be consistent with falling in love, oh, yeah. fall for somebody. And it's consistent in, in, with French. French has the this exact same phrase only in French, of course, tomber amoureux, to fall in love is exactly the same. So I wouldn't be surprised if the English got it from the French. Ah, that would make sense. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to find it in all the romance languages. There, You know, the, if you've ever seen the Godfather movies, you know that there's the, the thunderbolt or the lightning bolt when you fall in love in, in Italian, right? Um and there's all these ways to indicate that falling in love is a bit of a personal disaster, right? You, you've kind of been struck down beyond your beyond your ability to, to fight back. Well, Cupid and his arrows. Yeah, exactly. Sure, sure. Although sometimes falling in love is less like a lightning bolt and more like a sunrise, don't you think? I agree. All right. <laughs> well, thanks for reminding me of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for sharing it. I'm glad somebody finally laughed at it. All right. Thank you, Leslie. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Janet Lippum, and I'm calling from San Diego. Hello, Janet. How are you? Hi, Janet. What's up? Um, I'm trying to find out the origin of an expression. You know how people start um, IM sessions with, like, YT or You There? Mm-hmm. Well, um, this friend of mine, who is also uh, one of my coworkers, is originally from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So one day she's IMing me at work, and she starts out, you know, You There. And I was feeling playful at the time, so my response was, Nobody here but us chickens. Would have thought, you know, in the time that she's been in this country, she might have heard that, but apparently she hasn't. Because her response back to me was, why? Where did everybody go? Like we were the only two people still left at work. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I started to explain it, you know, explain to her where the expression came from. Mm-hmm. And I realized I didn't know where it came from. So I did an Internet search, but all I could find were references to an old Louis Jordan song. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, then I thought of you guys, and I thought, well, if anybody knows where this came from, it would be Grant and Martha. Now then, I like that kind of faith. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing too. how often people put their faith in us, Martha, and we let them down. Oh, but that's not going to happen this time. Not at all. What's the, what's the title of the Lewis Jordan song? Do you know? I think that is the title of it, Nobody Here But Us Chickens. Okay, yeah, and, and it's a great song. Have you guys heard it? No, no okay. I didn't. I haven't heard it. It's I saw a, the lyrics, but I haven't heard the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. And it refers to this old joke about Farmer Brown. I think his name is Farmer Brown. He goes out to the hen house because there's been a commotion and he's got his gun and he's looking around and he says, who's there? And uh, there's this little voice in the back that says something like, ain't nobody here but us chickens. Uh, and, so and there's a chicken thief in there or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the joke. 
But it's interesting because this actually goes back to a the, the joke itself, the original joke that uh, both Grant and I have read in old, old newspapers, say from 1908, 1909. It kind of has racist overtones, doesn't it, Grant? Yeah, it's about the original story that you can find in print, and it's probably older than, than we are, we're finding, again, 1908, 1909, around there, uh, involves a, a slave and a slave owner. And um, it's the exact same story, only the the slave is the one in the chicken coop and the um, the slave owner is the one going out to see what the commotion is about. And the story paints the slave as being stupid. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's that's kind of the focus of the joke. The joke is that this person thinks by saying that – Something in English, in human words, that the farmer is going, to, or the slave owner is going to be fooled. So, um, it's not a nice story told that way. But the, when you tell the story just about a regular old farmer and and um, just somebody coming by to steal chickens, then it's harmless. Well, my my thought would have been like the fox in the hen house. You say, oh no, no need to worry. Nobody here but us chickens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably how a lot of people think of it now. And to me, this is really interesting because it started out with this story that had kind of language that we would find offensive today. You know, ain't nobody here but us chickens, massa, or something like that. But I would say that in the inter- intervening hundred years that this phrase has taken on such a life of its own that I wouldn't hesitate to use it, especially after Louis Jordan reclaimed it with that fabulous song that was really, really popular in the 1940s. I mean, right, you right. see all kinds of people covering that song now. Right. It, it definitely, if it ever was an unsavory story, it lost it before he recorded the song in the 1940s. Um, I think also this line was used in one form or another in the the movie Chicken Run in the year 2000. Did you see that? I did, but I don't remember the song. It's an anna- well, not the song. I think the line was used. the The line "Nobody here but us chickens." Yeah, and I've talked to a lot of people. I mean, I hear the expression all the time. Lots of people use it. Nobody really knows. You know, nobody I talked to really knew where it had come from. So, it's hmm. very the the slave story. I think is very interesting. It is. It's like mm-hmm. a, a lot a lot of things where it has to be taken in the context of the time in which it was. You know, created mm-hmm. originally, so um, right because it would be really overly it would be overly simplistic to go back and apply our our, our values of you know two thousand eight two thousand nine and apply them to something that was a hundred years old, right? Right, exactly. And thank, thank you, you guys so much for so calling, much Janet. For the information. All right, bye bye. All righty, bye bye. Bye. If you've got a question about language, you want to know where something's from, when it's from, what it's about, what it means, or how it should be used. We are the people to help you. The number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven Wayward. Or as always, you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Get ready to stretch your slangitude. That's coming up next on Away with Words. One night Farmer Brown was taken to air Locked up the barnyard with the greatest of care Down in the hen house something stirred When he shouted, who's there? You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And it's time for our weekly slang challenge where we try to stump a member of the National Puzzlers League. Today's contestant is Joe Miller from Howell, New Jersey. What you know, Joe? Hi there. Come on down. What do you do there in New Jersey? I work for uh, an integrator on security systems for uh, border and airport-type operations. Oh. Well, Joe, you must have a favorite slang term you'd like to share with us. I do indeed. This is a family slang, my wife and I. Um, she drives a uh, yellow VW Beetle, and uh, we have a term called the Beetle Effect. When you're driving down the road and you come up behind somebody and their speed is not all that constant, we tend to drive with a with the cruise control on, so our speeds are usually pretty constant. Um, sometimes somebody starts slowing down because they're not paying attention or whatever when you're behind them, so she, she or I will tend to pull out uh, and to try, to try to pass that person. And she, far more often than I, finds that that sort of wakes up the person that, they're tr- that she's trying to pass, and uh, they speed up and kind of defeat the purpose of the whole thing. Ah, yes. Sometimes she falls back and gets in behind them, and they, after a little while they... They'd start losing their attention again. 
But, is it because uh, she drives it, a... It something be- happens to her far more often than it does to me, so we call that the beetle effect. Because she drives a beetle and you don't. You think it's because people don't want to be passed by a beetle? It's hard to say. Um, it might be the bright yellow color colors more often more mm-hmm. often wakes them up, mm-hmm. or it may be that people have a perception that the beetle, which is an incorrect perception, that the beetle is, a, you know, not a very powerful car, and and so we we shouldn't be passed. You would be humiliating. It could <laughs> exactly. be the it could be the flashing lights on top of the car and the sheriff's <laughs> logo on the side. No, oh, I'm kidding. I'm we kidding. We never I'm thought kidding. of that. <laughs> well, are you ready to play a game? Sure. All right, well, I've got a quiz for you. I'm going to give you a sentence with a blank in it and two possible answers. Only one of them is correct. If you need help, Martha's standing by. All right. Right here. Cool. All right, here's the first one. The New York Knicks might have enough blank to sign a pair of maximum salary free agents in 2010. Do the Knicks maybe have enough A, board butter, or B, cap room? Mm. That's board, B-O-A-R-D, butter, B-U-T-T-E-R, and cap room, C-A-P-R-O-O-M. Mm. Well, board butter sounds more like something you'd, that would involve the playing of the actual game, something that helps you move around quickly on the court. Cap sounds more like something like they have enough room before they reach some kind of salary cap that the league might have on paying players. I don't really know... Uh, the NBA particularly, but um, I would guess cap cap room would mean they have enough enough money before they hit some kind of some kind of league cap. Mm, so that's my guess. Mm-hmm. Ding 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 ding! That is exactly right, Joe. Perfect right. answer. And your explanation was right on target. It means the team hasn't yet reached the salary ceiling set by the NBA. It's cool. it's short for salary cap room. All right, all right. So let's see, let's see how you do on uh, another one. Ready? Okay. They blew up everything. The houses, the cars, the people. Damn, son, that movie was mad blank. Was this movie, that had a lot of explosions, was it mad A, pancakes, or B, gangster? Pancake? Hmm. Um, was it gangster or gangsta? <laughs> well, gangster, G-A-N-G-S-T-E-R. Hmm. I'll read it again. They blew up everything. The houses, the cars, the people. Damn, son, that movie was mad blank. Was it mad pancakes or mad gangster? I'm going to guess on this one. I'm I'm probably overthinking this. But it's interesting. When I I said the word pancake out loud, my wife, who was in the other part of the room, said flattened. She she can't hear any of the rest of this, but, but that's the first thing. She said, and so I'm thinking, okay, that that might be what it means. Um, so I'm going to go for the less obvious choice and go with pancake on this one. What do you think, Martha? Mm, I wonder if you're overthinking that. Pancake to me just sounds silly. I mean, mad waffle, mad French toast. I, uh, <laughs> mad scones? <laughs> mad scones, exactly. You know, for some reason, I would go with the other word, but... Uh, it seemed, it seemed like the that's the one that seemed more again. That's why I asked why I was whether it was gangsta. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I'll stick with pancake just for the heck of it. Okay. Well, Martha, you're 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 right on target. And Joe, I'm sorry to say it wasn't pancakes. I, I hope that the blowing up of things, uh, the flattening of things, wasn't too misleading. But it's really just a, more about behaving. Uh, well, it just means great. Being mad gangster is just a way of saying great. Mad here is strangely being used as an adverb um, and not as an adjective. So it's mm-hmm. like a way of saying very something. So yeah. it was, so it's very like a gangster, which is in the parlance of young black men on the Internet who primarily use this um, is a good thing. Overthought that one. Overthought that. You know, Joe, you you mentioned the beetle effect. I think this was the wife effect. <laughs> <laughs> Should have gone with your instinct there. Yeah, but you're all right. You, you, you got the first one with no problem. Even had the answer, the perfect explanation for it. So you're 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 doing fine, Joe. Yeah, you did a great job. Thanks, Thanks so much for that. playing today. Thanks a lot. All, all right. right. Bye bye. Well, if you'd like to talk with us about language, the number's one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven wayward or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you? Super Hi, duper. who's this? Who is this? This is Gary McDonald from San Diego. Hi, Gary. What's cooking? 
I was calling to see when you use in regards to or in regard to, and I wasn't sure if it was a pluralization thing or if it was something else. So you're writing business correspondence and you're saying in regards to the um, water damage to my basement, you owe me a million dollars, something like that. Exactly. Uh Or versus in regard to. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, there's a quick answer to that. You never say in regards to. Oh. Just don't Mm -hmm. ever put an S on regard in that situation. If you did, you wouldn't be alone, but it still doesn't make it right. Right. The traditional rule is in regard to, never in regards to. Oh, okay. You'd never say irregardless. No, I wouldn't. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't. Grant would do it to get under my skin, but (laughs) but again, the traditional rule is that irregardless is not a word. Exactly. And it's a word, but it's incorrect. Oh, it's kind of like anyways, because people say anyways. Yeah. And it's anyway. Right. They Mm -hmm. do. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. So you never use in regards to. Right. Right. There's a little bit of logic behind that that might help you remember it. Do you want it? Sure, please. All right. The thing is, when you hold someone in high regard, which is a similar phrase, you only have one regard. Right. And so there's no S there. And this is the same regard. It's the same one as in in regard to. It's kind of a mass noun that means attention or consideration. On the other hand, when you give your regards, right, you have more than one regard. Right. But it's a different kind of regard. It's like good wishes or warm feelings. Okay. So it is a little bit of a plural thing that shouldn't be happening here. You should not have more than one regard when you talk about in regard to. I thought it was more so in regard to the many versus in regards to the one. So it's not a pluralization thing at all. No, it's not. Regard isn't. No, no, no. Regard is a noun here. Right. Regard is not a verb. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. All right. And I've asked a number of people and they didn't know. Aha. Well, now you know. (laughs) And I'm going to share it with them too. Excellent. You're in a position to influence people? Absolutely. And you have a wonderful show, by the way. I just love listening to you. Oh, well, thanks, thanks, Gary. That's thank nice you. to hear. We thanks, enjoyed sir. listening to you, too. Well, thank you very much. Have a great day. <laughs> All, right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Well, irregardless of what you say, Martha, I'm going to use ah! that word. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> he did it again. I feel like Charlie Brown in the football. I, I keep trusting Boy, that you're not... why am I Lucy? I feel more like Lucy. Linus. <laughs> or Schroeder, maybe. Except I don't play the piano. Yeah, I think of you more as Snoopy, actually. No, no, I just... Uh, I walk into that every time. I just trust that you're not going to say irregardless, and then you do. What can I say? You know, what's funny is I, I... It's one of those words that although I try not to judge other people for using it, mm-hmm. I do my darndest to keep it out of my own speech. You know, you try really hard not to judge others for their mistakes, but oh, then yeah. you hold yourself to a much higher standard. Right. Irregardless falls fully in that category. Did you have to break yourself of the habit? Did you grow up saying irregardless? You know, it was one of those things that once it became clear that I had a better choice mm-hmm. in the word regardless, mm-hmm. more then it's logical easy. choice. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. But sometimes when we have these language dilemmas, the better choice isn't always clear. So That's in this true. case, I think the better choice is clear and it's easy just to say, oh, I'm not going to use irregardless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd love to hear from you about language. Give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. Or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Martha, here's an interesting email that we got from Steve in Southern California. He says... At a restaurant last night, my friend and I ordered a flight of wine that was featured. So our question is, why is it called a flight? Good question. You know, Steve, this is a good question. It's probably related to a variety of other uses of flight that mean a bunch of similar things, such as a flight of stairs or a flight of birds. That's a flock of birds, which is a loft, or even a flight of aircraft. Um, The RAF uses that term. Um, And, Martha, there is a collective noun for a group of angels, which is also a flight. Oh, sure. Flights of angels. Flights of angels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So more than likely it comes from that. It's just a series of things which are similar. They're like of a kind but each unique, each different. So, for example, you can also have flights of beer, vodka, sake, even olive oil, salmon, oysters, pretty much anything. Uh Anything that comes in a... Uh, a variety of types, but it's still all of one kind, you can have a flight of. So like a tasting of balsamic vinegar and that That's right. Kind of thing? Uh-huh. Exactly. Or a tasting of uh, different kinds of beers. Uh, the wine one, of course, is uh, more well-known. I hadn't thought about the flight of stairs connection. So it's just a collection. 
of a, a series. Actually, uh-huh. these are things that okay. that are, okay. are are presented or happen or, or or in this case consumed in order. I see. If if you take a flight, I believe you're supposed to consume them in the order in which they're presented. Yeah, that that you would ever, make sense to me. Yeah, like at a well, wine. Well, you're the tasting. California lady. You ever go to? <laughs> you ever go out to the, do you ever go out to the wineries and do Absolutely, the? Absolutely, yes. The, the yes. booze Saturdays or whatever they call them. <laughs> booze Saturdays. Right. Oh, you get that... drunk on somebody else's dime. You pretend to be a connoisseur, <laughs> but instead you're just sipping the Merlot. Right. Right. And you do it in order. In order. And, that's know, right. White to red, and yeah. Well, thanks for your email, Steve. I hope that helped. If you just want to send us an email with a question, we'll take a look at it. The email address is words at waywardradio.org. You can, of course, also call us at 1-877-WAYWARD. That's 1-877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, Martha. Hi. Who's this? This is Amelia Goodkey from Logan, Utah. Hi, Hi, Amelia. How are you doing? I am great. I am so excited to be on your show today. And we're excited (laughs) to have you. Yeah. Well, I have a little story. I was driving with my mother-in-law to Las Vegas from northern Utah Uh for Thanksgiving, and I introduced her to the show. And when we got to Las Vegas, we started to prepare the meal for Thanksgiving. And I asked if we were going to be serving it buffet style. So she asked, or are we having it smorgasbord style? And I said, hey, that's a great question for Away With Words. Aha. So what kind of meal did you serve? Well, I guess to me it was buffet. It was just the the island in the kitchen piled with food uh-huh. with um, different dishes. So to her it was a smorgasbord and to me it was buffet. Uh-huh. So so you didn't really see a difference between smorgasbord and, and buffet. And, and it's a self-serve situation, right? Right, where all the food is just laid out before you and you just dish yourself up. Well, you know, the easiest thing to say here that a smorgasbord is simply a type of buffet. Oh, it is? Yeah, yeah. Of course, originally a smorgasbord was a little more complicated than that. In the Scandinavian tradition, there was a, an order to the courses. Like you would start with fish and then the bread and butter and cheese and eggs and then mm-hmm. the pickled vegetables and then the hot foods. And also, smorgasbord could either be the hors d'oeuvres or it could be the main meal. But we've borrowed the term into English, and as a result, we've kind of made it a little more general, and now it just generally means a lot of small dishes from which you serve yourself uh, a meal, right? Okay, so you are saying that it's basically the same thing or yes. not? Yes, it is. I think in this country, yeah. Yes, in I this country so. it is. In practical American usage, it's the same thing, and it's simply a word choice. Okay, and then where did you say the word comes from originally? Oh, it's Swedish. Oh, that's what I figured. It sounded Swedish. Swedish chef ish. Swedish chef ish. Well, yeah. you know, uh, Jim Henson, when he did the Swedish chef, was not really speaking Swedish. Oh, he was. <laughs> no. No, he actually, got, he actually got funny letters from very serious Swedes who um, were wondering why he was purporting to speak Swedish or it wasn't. Um, but anyway, that's a side note. The, interestingly, smorgasbord is Swedish. It comes from two words smorgas, um, of course, I'm getting the pronunciation wrong, which means a slice of bread and butter mm-hmm. plus board, meaning table. Okay. Cool? Yeah, that's cool. All right. Well, thank you, Amelia, for your call. Well, I just have to tell you that I come from a big family. There are 10 of us. Mm -hmm. And your show has brought a lot of fun conversation into our family. We love your show. Oh, Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Ten of you. I'm jealous. I only had five kids in my family. (laughs) Well, don't be too jealous. It's a little crazy. (laughs) All right. Well, best of luck to you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, they have to have a smorgasbord, a really long table with that many kids. Well, if you'd like to speak Swedish with Grant, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. Or you can always email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. A few episodes ago, we took a call about a woman whose grandmother used to chastise her for wearing a short skirt. She'd say, why, I can almost see up to possible. Remember oh, that, Martha? Yeah. <laughs> right. And the caller wanted to know more about possible used in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just say that we gave an answer that is of no consequence. <laughs> <laughs> Incomplete at best. <laughs> Incomplete. Our listeners have, however, come up with a better answer, and this is for certain a good one. 
the story that they've told us takes a lot of shapes, but it always describes a way of avoiding talking about certain parts of the body, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And it's usually put this way. First, you wash down far as possible. Then you wash up far as possible. And then you wash possible. How did we miss that? Well, I don't know. I, I It actually rang some bells once it was mentioned on the forum. Uh, Matt and Kay had something to say about it on our discussion forum. Mm-hmm. A bunch of other people chimed in by email, and some more people said some stuff on the discussion forum. And once they gave me the clue, I did a lot more digging. And do you know what? James Joyce uses a variation of this in Ulysses, which was written in about 1921. He does? He does. This is what he writes. And remember, this is a, a page with basically no sentence punctuation whatsoever. Right. He writes... When I said I washed up and down far as possible, asking me, and did you wash possible? Ah, okay. There we go. Right. So we, we know for certain that it goes back to at least 1921. It is a pass-along thing. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if it's not Irish or if it's uh, something that uh, is f- more well-known in the British Isles. I don't know. Mm. The, the written record on this is scarce, but I was so glad to have... Matt and Kay and the other people point out a better path to take. Yeah, yeah. We love it when our listeners do that. And you can always do that by calling us at one 929 or sending us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. And the discussion forum that Grant mentioned where there are always lively conversations going on is waywardradio.org slash discussion. That's our show for this week. Support for our program comes from Mosey Online Backup. Got data? Visit mozy.com. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime at 1-877-929-9673. Or email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. Or join the conversation right now on our discussion forum. That's at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian and Josette Herdell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett. Ciao luego. Bye-bye. And oh, if we ever part, that would break my heart. So I say oyster, you say oyster. I'm not going to stop eating oysters just because... Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.